Welcome to Authentic Living with Roxanne, a place where we have conscious conversations about things that really matter in our lives. And now, here's your host, Roxanne Derhage. Our interview last week was so good that we decided to turn it into a two-part series. If you missed last week, you'll find the link in the show notes. It's not mandatory that you listen, but we want to make sure that you don't miss out on this amazing conversation. You talked about some strategies, and I, I like it. So if you have lived experience, if you've had, you know, like I say, normal things that would cause you to need to speak to someone to get that support, right? Um, I often say it starts, you said it starts with the leader, right? So we want, like, you know, I talk about authentic leadership. We want that leader to have an awareness that he or she is living their truth um, in this space, in this time around mental well-being. So telling their story, what are some other steps that leaders could consider taking to, to create that more of that, uh, that alignment with perceptions of what on mental health and reality in some of these workplaces. I'm going to talk about these top tier EAPs and how important that is. EAPs are, are, have been a little, they've been beaten down a little bit. And that's because I think the partnership, EAPs in a vacuum don't do well. Nothing in a vacuum does well. It needs to be a partnership. So working with leadership and EAPs to really kind of develop, and it starts with a strategic approach to doing this. And in some cases, it's really about coaching the leaders on how to be comfortable with that. Or if they're not comfortable, which is fine, having other members of the leadership team talk about these things. But leaders have to show up. As you say, authentic leadership is about showing up. When I walk down the hall of my organization, I know that's that doesn't happen that often anymore. But when I walk down the hall of my organization, I know that people are watching me. And I may have just had something bad to eat that's giving me a little indigestion, but if I'm making faces, everybody is thinking that horrible things are happening. So being available, being there, showing up to work in an authentic way is really important. The other is figuring out ways to communicate with people, not lie, not minimize, you know, being able to sort of stand up in front of a group and say, here's what's going on, to react to questions in an honest direct way. The worst thing you can do is overpromise something when, you know, uh, when you can't really give the right answer. That's not a good thing. It's always better to say, you know what, I don't know, but I'm going to find out and then make sure you find out and get back to them. So creating a communications plan, um, some kind of an employee engagement plan, right? So in our company, when this started, I don't even remember how many months ago, we instituted a 15 to 30 minute every other week town hall meeting for all of our employees. Some of those meetings are merely saying everything's fine, nothing's going on. 15 minutes were in and out of there. They asked, it gave, gave people an opportunity to ask questions. Here's the irony. We never in all of our history of perspectives got a 95 to 100% participation. At these meetings, which are all Zoom, we were averaging 95 to 98%. 
people are interested and they want to know that you're going to be able to talk to them as leaders mm -hmm. and that they're going to be able to have access to you. The other thing is to try and figure out in, in any way you can to simulate activities that normally would occur in your workplace virtually. So how do you do that? We have virtual cocktail hours, right? We don't advocate drinking, but we do advocate getting together and everybody's in their home. Just, you know, and we break into breakout rooms. Is it perfect? Far from it. Uh, but we're keeping connected. We have, actually, we have a committee, a social committee that came up with a topic called the uh, water cooler um, meetings. And that's just basically where every week, for about 15 minutes, people can sort of come to the water cooler, right? It's a digital or an electronic one. Um, we had a, a, a florist deliver to all of our employees um, these um, uh, terrariums. I don't have mine anymore because I have a black thumb, but they literally then we took it out of the box. They had an expert florist teach us how to do it. It was a lot of fun. It was connected. So those kinds of things, mixing fun with the ability to share your feelings, some kind of a strategic re-entry or engagement plan. Those are things that make a huge deal difference. Um, and the other is to really um, ensure that you're promoting mental wellness, mental health yes. and wellness. I, I think part of the way to get out of this stigma of mental health is, especially now we're talking about it being national, uh, worldwide uh, suicide awareness day uh, tomorrow is, is that um, you know we make it okay for people to talk about? It. There are so many misconceptions that if you talk about suicide, it will cause people to to do it. That is not true. There's research that categorically shows that. In fact, the opposite is true. That it gives people more comfort to talk about it, and they're more likely to get help. Same thing happens in general. So I, I just think dealing with mental health, mental wellness. We want a mentally fit workplace. A place where not where people aren't perfect, but where people feel comfortable not being perfect. You know, that, that old saying that's going around, and I think it's wonderful, is we've got to train everybody in our organizations that it's okay to not be okay. Absolutely. And you know, the thing is, I, I think if that's that permissiveness to, to discuss things, right? Like, you know, um, when you're going through change and we've been in flux, we, we're in rolling change, right? Yeah. So let's talk about what's uncomfortable. Let's talk about what we're not doing well. What, you know, we're going to talk, we, yes, we can talk about the champions and who's done what, and, but what is it that you did kind of poorly that you learned from and how could you share that to say, you know what I realized? Wow. You know, when I haven't slept, let's say, and how many people are having problems with sleeping right now? Absolutely. You know, what, what, how do I kind of take care of myself through the day, even though I've still got my eight, 10 hour day, how do I kind of, how am I, can I be gentle and kind, um, you know, to be able to say, well, you know, I'm going to maybe be off camera a little bit more, or maybe I'm going to, you know, have my meetings in quiet, I'm going to come back in and out. So just sharing those things, I think is so helpful. Um, and I think as the leader does that more, um, and that, you know, and they see when the leader says, you know, I, I haven't had that kind of um, good week. And this is kind of what I've been doing just to care for myself. I always talk about is how is the leader showing or demonstrating his or her capacity to understand that I'm under massive pressure. Um, I generally am pretty good, but you know, what I, what I've learned this year or this month is, wow, I need to do this, this, and this a bit more or this a bit less. And in that sharing, like you said, normalizing it, I think then people go, wow, the CEO just went through that. 
and he or she is sharing this, how amazing does that get? And that modeling and that, that you know, sharing what people start to recognize is if, if I'm a human being and my CEO or my senior leaders are a human being and my manager is a normal person, it's okay for me to also share. Absolutely. And I think, you know, that's another thing that I think we need to really change quickly is this whole notion that the leader has to be above it all, right? And, and to, you know, look, I, I want to advocate, I, I don't want to sound like I'm saying just let it all hang out. I'm not. Um, I think there is decorum and I think there are boundaries that all leaders have to take. But you know what? Being warm, being genuine, being somewhat self-disclosing, there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, that gets people much more invested and engaged. So you're absolutely right. And it's 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 one thing to read from a script and say dot, 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 dot. But if the words don't match the deeds, people are not stupid. People know that. People know when you're lying to them. You know, I do a lot of work with labor. I love labor because if you lie to labor, if you lie to union guys, they've got you smelled out right away. Oh my and goodness. You know do they ever, they, they have the, the radar on. <laughs> they sure do. So you know what you can, and you can disagree with them, but don't ever lie. And I think that's, you know, look, I, there have been leaders. The best examples of leaders are during crisis times. I mean, anybody can be a good leader when things are going well. During crisis times is when really good leaders really come to the fore. You know, you think about some of the work that good to great uh, Jim, Jim Collins. But, you know, when he talked about what he called a level five leader, these are people who were real, who were authentic, and who also demanded, you know, that people were accountable. So we hold other people accountable as leaders. We need to allow ourselves to be held accountable, too. So I agree with everything you're saying, Roxanne, about... Um, you know, people have to show up as leaders at work really being authentic. Their authentic selves are, it's a hard thing to define, but it's a critical thing to define. But what I love about what you, you, you cited and in my book that's coming out in the fall on, it's basically return on relationships, how to, you know, work, how to amplify, how authentic leaders can amplify resilience on their teams. And I talk a little bit about transparency, recognition, you know, problem solving, all those things. But not just that the leader, okay, the leader has to assess his or her skills, but is how is the team perceiving the leader in those areas? And then going through different trainings, it's ongoing kind of analysis. I often say, right, we all know performance evaluation time, everybody covers and we get that one objective that you have to kind of meet. But really, why is it does it has to be one time a year? Because we expect optimal. We know about presenteeism where you get 65% of productivity. But if we're constantly talking about things, there's the opportunities to understand what are my expectations of you as my leader and vice versa. What are your expectations of the frontline person for the leader ongoing um, and, you know, the more we open up that channel, then people are able to share and be more collaborative with an, with an overall outcome in mind. Sometimes you're going to miss the mark, absolutely, but at least you'll have opportunities to discuss why you've missed the mark. Couldn't have said it any better, Roxanne. You know, I mean, leaders are called on to make hundreds of decisions every day. And usually they don't have the time to go, well, let me think about this for a week, right? They're making snap decisions. It's really tough to do that. And, you know, when you're making 100 decisions in a day, if you're betting 700, you're doing really well. But those other 30% of the time that you fail, it's okay. And if you yourself can't allow yourself to say it's okay to fail, but what if I learn from this failure? How can I move on? 
I guarantee you other people that work with you and for you are not going to be able to do it either. I mean, people look at you as a leader. We have an, an extra obligation to understand where people are at and to make it easier for them to be transparent with us too. So don't walk into a room and go, well, I'm going to be honest with you. I expect you all to be honest. They're just not going to do that. They'll, they will do that more if you've demonstrated your ability to do that. If you've shown your vulnerability as well, they're more likely to be vulnerable. So you, you're, you're absolutely right. And we're all reading each other, right? You're reading, I'm reading your body language, your mirror neurons, we're calibrating, we know this stuff. People are, you know, intuitively, that's how we're wired. So we're constantly, we're judging, we're, we're you know, we're kind of adapting our behaviors, those types of things. So I think um, the more that authentic that people come to work, I like to your point, yes, I'm not talking that you're gonna, it's not gonna be verbal diarrhea, but being aware that there's a certain, ex, um, you know, expectations of yourself as the leader. And when you set that poise, you have certain expectations and in turn, you know, a flow that you want things to go in. And then you, like you said, that overall corporate culture gets defined versus kind of thinking it's going to happen in those quarterly meetings and one year retreat and we're all good and we're going to wrap it up and we're going to go off again. We know that so much more. And I, I think that's the beauty the, the positive of the pandemic that has brought to light is that, okay, transparency has been a concept we've been talking about, but this has really put our feet to the fire in that we, it, it, we have no choice now but to be transparent. If not, you know, people are using their feet to, to leave and you're losing your talent. You're not able to, you know, uh, attract good talent. You're not able to retain them. And then ultimately uh, keep the people productive as well. And that's the main thing. And right now, you're absolutely right. We are in an employee's market. And that'll change. It shifts back and forth. But employees, and this is the other thing I think leaders need to realize, it's not just about the money, especially for younger workers. Mm -hmm. I'm not saying money is unimportant. Everybody wants more money. They want to earn more. They want to grow. I get that. But it's really about the organization. And what you do during these crisis times as a leader is going to set the stage for your future. And believe me, people talk, especially now with social media. So think about yourself as getting Yelp reviews all the time and it's going to go on. So, yeah. you know, if, if you're trying to start over and create a culture that's been negative now, you're really pushing a boulder uphill. It can be done, but it's going to take some work. Really, it's important to use this time to really create a culture of caring, of transparency, of safety, um, of, of, you know, of collegiality. Um, those things are what people in the future will make use as decision makers for either staying, leaving, or going to your place. More than a couple of extra bucks. We've, we've seen this in some of our organizations where people have been recruited away because there is a labor shortage right now and they've been asked for more money. And in many situations, they've come back to their employer and said, look, I don't want to leave they're offering me this ridiculous amount of money. I'll take a little less, can I stay? Because I really like this organization. I think that says something. And I think that's really, you know, if, if you know, you said it about the job performance evaluation too, that one shot deal is almost bad because it gives leaders and managers an excuse to not do what they need to do all year round. Exit interviews to me are the same thing. I always ask when somebody says, let's do an exit interview, I always say, well, isn't that a little late? <laughs> You know, shouldn't we have had this interview beforehand? Shouldn't right. we? Just, we should not, as leaders, be surprised when somebody's leaving us. We really should. 
We should know. But, you know, I, I want to ask you one thing. I know I'm, we're almost at time, but I'm, I'm curious. This is my concept in my brain, not living in the EAP world um, as much anymore. You know, when traumatic responses, you have trauma uh, response teams. I, you know, when I, my early career, I would go out as part of a trauma team. So trauma happens within 24 hours. You get in, you educate, you educate, you educate. 72 hours, you do a debriefing. Um, and then you identify kind of what are the facts, what's happening. Uh, with the pandemic, right, we've been in an ongoing need for trauma responses. So from a bigger level, how does that kind of impact companies now, right? Because they've, ha they've had to educate, educate, educate. They've had to look at employee, well, virtually connect with employees enough to identify who needs more support. So after, or I shouldn't say after, because to your point, this is not going to end. How does companies think about that? We've been in a traumatic, I'm going to say, stance for well over two years. And it's not going away, as we can see, as we get into the fall with some of the numbers with the different strains coming. What's, what recommendations would you give from that frame to, to leaders? That's a great question. Um, so I, I think it begins with, I think what you're talking about, and for the benefit of your, your listeners and, and viewers, so we're talking about critical incidents responses, right? Where something occurs at the workplace, um, which requires an intervention that's almost organizational. Somebody's on site. Uh, unfortunately, because people don't go on site anymore, a lot of these are being done by Zoom. By the way, it can be done and has been done effectively. I think though that those are related to or responses to traumas or incidents um, that people have, have had a, a reaction to. I think we have to define trauma very differently. Mm -hmm. I think we have to broaden the definition of trauma. So again, I'm gonna go back to what these top tier EAPs do, right? The top tier EAPs, again, not the ones where you check the box. These are the ones that are basically saying, look, we're here. If you're having an issue, call us. We'd rather say, you know what? That doesn't require a group response. In most cases, it probably will, but call us. Let's have a conversation about that. So we've been doing a lot more of that. And, and what traditionally was, we go on site, we meet in groups, we do education. Now is a little different. We may be doing with two or three people. We may be going on site or doing a Zoom thing. We may be doing these on an ongoing basis. We have, we have a lot of healthcare institutions. We've developed a program using technology where these are people who are working on COVID units. And so they don't have the time to sort of sit down, make an appointment or talk by phone or get to a computer. So we now have text-based stuff that is a way to just do in the moment counseling. I would consider that response to trauma. Um, we also talk about professionals who are working on this stuff and say, you know what? People who are exposed to repeated trauma need help. Mm -hmm. And I don't care if they say, I'm okay, I do this all the time. You see this in the news all the time. If you want people to burn out, don't respond to them and don't be proactive. If you want them, however, not to burn out, create a proactive problem that requires them to take time off, that requires them to speak with people, that requires them to meet in a group and use your top tier EAP to do that. Yeah. I don't know if that, if that addresses No, no, I, I love it. I love it. Because I, I often thought, right, how do you extrapolate, you know, that concept? Because it's, it's not going away. You, people still have to go back to those COVID units. 
people still, you know, have just lost a family member. Somebody's family member is in the hospital or they're recovering or somebody's isolating because somebody at school, it's going on. It's like, you know, it's that plate, like the plates at the circus. It's constantly, it's, it's been twirling and twirling. And you look over here and it's, oh, it's slowing down. I got to look over here. And it's, we've been in that state. So that's what my concern was, what thinking about the, you know, what is it that's being done? And it's good to hear that the top tier EAPs, um, not the assess and refer and go on to, you know, get three sessions. I'm talking about the re, real core fundamental uh, people that are saying, what change do you need? How can I support you? And how can I be available really 24 seven, which is really uh, what I would see that people would need on an ongoing basis, you know, to, 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 to get through this time. And I know we're running out of time, we're out of time, but let me just say one last thing. Your EAP should be a hub. It should be the place that everybody goes for to when they need a resource, counseling, um, childcare, elder care, any kind of wellness resources. And you're reading a lot about these single point solutions where you know you can get CBT on on, on, on your phone or uh, artificial intelligence. I'm not against any of those things. I just feel like sometimes what you're doing is you're you know what do they say if you know to a hammer everything everything looks like a nail or vice versa. I always get that wrong. We're, we kind of see ourselves as being, uh, as having a quiver with all of those things in there. But when you call me Roxanne, I'm going to try and figure out what quickly, what you need, what many resources you might need. And then I'm going to get you that help. That's where your top tier EAPs are. We're not a 1-800 assess and refer. I, I could get my, my son who owns a floral business to do that. That's not what we're looking for. These are people that can help sort of monitor. So that's, I think, where EAPs come in. Here. Right. And because, you know, prevention is so important. And I think we really, really, that's where some of the accessory for um, companies really, um, unfortunately, um, didn't help the field of behavioral health. Because we, re we recognize, yes, it's 24-7, but people are for people to actually pick up the phone, Bernie, and you know this, and I know this, it takes so much strength to be able to do that. And to say to them now, oh, by the way, that's done. We don't, you know, we need to send you somewhere else. That's hard for any human being to be able to do that, to open up, say, I'm really struggling. Oh, and by the way, oh, you're at your third session. It's time to send you off. And we know that at this point that people would disconnect. So I'm so glad to hear that that's available. And to, for leaders to hear that when you are making choices, to make the choice to decide, okay, where can I offer support ongoing? Because the earlier you get people on a preventative level, you're going to, you're going to keep people, you're going to, they're going to be emotionally healthier. Um, they're going to get supports. They're going to learn how to communicate. If it's stress management that's needed within your organization, all those things are going to be identified under one umbrella. So uh, these kind of services are something that, you know, I'm sure through this time has, um, you know, been invaluable for uh, companies and, I would say most companies need to get educated about what are they buying to support people's mental health right now. Amen. Amen. You are absolutely correct. Thank you, Roxanne. So I would love you and I, like I said, when Bernie and I met, uh, we both belonged to Forbes. I said, and I listened to one of his trainings. I said, oh my goodness, I have to meet this man. And I knew we would have an amazing conversation. So Bernie, for anyone listening, any leadership teams or anyone uh, looking to, uh, you know, explore things for, further with the EAP services um, or the organizational consulting, tell everyone where they can reach you. Sure. So you can always go to our website, www.perspectivesltd.com. 
Um, I'm available at BSD, that's Bob Sam Dime, at perspectivesltd.com. Please feel free to reach out with an email, um, and I'll be glad to answer any questions you might have. And, and if we can help you, great. If not, I'll be glad to tie you up with a resource that can, because I really do feel passionate about people and organizations and leaders doing the right thing for their employees. It really, you know, it's going to make a lot more sense in the long run. And, and that's what that's what I've always wanted to do. And I'm, I've been very blessed to be able to. So I hope that helps, Roxanne. Thanks so much. So for anybody listening out there, if you're a leader, share you know, even if it's something that you may think is insignificant. And, uh, you know, if you're needing uh, more information on authentic leadership and resilience for your teams, please connect with me. Just go to chatwithroxanne.com and book a call to meet with me. And again, Bernie, thanks so much again for your time. And for everyone, hang in there and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for tuning in to Authentic Living with Roxanne, creating the space for positive, healthy change. Roxanne is a keynote speaker, psychotherapist, and coach. To work with Roxanne, visit roxanderhajcom slash blueprint. We'll see you next time on Authentic Living with Roxanne.